you can have the best science, right? Just an awesome idea. But if that institute does not work on that, no matter how great it is, or they don't have dollars allocated to that topic, it's not going to get funded. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast. I'm Kim Skorupski. On today's Triple H, The Habits and Hacks from Hopkins, we have one of our tried and true guests, I guess second time, uh, Dr. Deanna Williams. Deanna, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here again. Well, why don't you remind folks who you are, what you do here at Hopkins? Great. I'm Deanna Williams. I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Molecular Comparative Pathobiology, And in my lab, we're very interested in HIV and how it impacts neurologic function. We spend a lot of time thinking about cognition and mental health, and we focus on the immune response, genetic contributions, and also the pharmacology of how antiviral therapies impact your brain. Friends, if you didn't have a chance to hear Dr. Williams' podcast episode, scroll back through the series and you'll see her there. We talked last time about R01s and networking and how she was able to get 10 papers out the door during COVID last year, three of them, first author or senior author, and how she was doing so well and really has been knocking out of the park since her training with getting grant funding. So she and I talked offline and I said, oh my gosh, you know, this, you, we need to have you back on to talk about grant writing. So that's why Dr. Williams is here. So take it away, Deanna. Yeah, there are two main things that I was reflecting on that I think have been very helpful in me securing grants. And I think one of the first ones is being savvy and being very strategic about where you apply. And I'm talking mostly about the NIH. And that's the fact that the NIH has all these different ICs and sensors, right? And they all have their own very unique scientific areas of interest. And sometimes your work can only fit into one area, right? If you're looking at cancer, NCI is kind of the best one. But there are other times when your work can kind of go to different institutes depending upon how you pitch and kind of how you sell what you're working on. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's been very much a part of my career because I work on HIV, which can go to NIAD, which is the Infectious Disease Institute. But because I work on HIV neuroscience, I can go to MH, which is mental health, or NDS, which is disease and stroke. And depending upon what I'm looking at, I can even go to other agencies. Like if I'm doing health disparities, I can go to NIMHD. And so I think just being aware of where your work fits in and how you want to sell it is really important because each institute has different funding priorities. They have different pay lines, which means that they have differing amounts of dollars that they're going to earn different scores that are fundable depending upon how much money they have or their interest. Sometimes they have differing success rates. And so there are times where your work, you might not think it's a natural fit somewhere, but if you may sell it, you may have a better chance of getting funded. And that seems to have worked really well for me, just being flexible and thinking about how I'm going to make my work fit into the overarching interests of a particular institute. You're saying two things that just right away made me reflect on my my own career and how how sometimes I see junior faculty members, early career faculty members say, well, you, basically, you don't know what you don't know. 
So if you come up through your graduate, postdoc training, and you're working really hard to get primary data and get training grants, you may be uh, stuck in this, not stuck, but you only know, for instance, for me, for gerontology, NIA, National Institute on Aging. So I think, well, I'm a gerontologist, I'm doing aging research, this is it. And all my my mentors are here, and this is where I'm. my mindset is here. But what you're talking about, and I hope the audience members get this, especially if you're early career, is broadening your scope and your frame and your lens and opening, poking your head up out of your own little institute or center niche and see what else is out there. You don't know what you don't know. I guess this is hopefully maybe some people think, oh, geez, let me explore these other institutes and see what are their mandates? What are they calling for? What are they funding? What are they what are they doing? And then talk to mentors and try to think of other avenues, like you said, where you might kind of stretch your research into, into other institutes. How, how else would faculty know how to do that? Again, back yeah. to, oh, you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. So I actually spend a lot of time looking at the Institute's website because on the website, there's so much good information. They tell you exactly what they're interested in. They tell you their budget and what they have money allocated to. And it just helps you really think about where you're going to submit. For instance, since I work on HIV, each institute has dedicated money that they are congressionally mandated to give to HIV. So even though you may go to aging, you may look at aging and HIV, that kind of thing, which people may not necessarily think about. So looking at the website just shows you exactly what they're interested in. Mm-hmm. And if you are aware of that, you can pitch it according to what they say they're interested in. Another outstanding tool is this thing called NIH Matchmaker. You just Google it. It'll come up. It's a place where you can enter text, either an abstract or really you can even put a specific aims page if you want to. You put the text in, you hit search, and you can do one of two things. You can look up a particular program officer, and that's helpful if you're trying to find someone you want to speak to about, is your project within the scope of a particular agency? But another thing you can do is look to see which agencies have already funded work that has similar words to what you put in. Mm-hmm. And it's outstanding because that's where you see, wow, I can go to NINDS and NIDA and NIFH depending upon how I sell it. And they kind of have a histogram plot, so you can see which agency has funded the most grants relevant to that topic. Another outstanding thing that the matchmaker shows you is it also has another histogram plot showing you which study sections funded those grants or which grants went to that study section. And that's just also incredibly important because if you know, again, the priority of that study section, you can tailor your work to fit into the interests of those people. You can even then look up the members of that study section and begin to think about how you want to write your grant to kind of suit their expertise. Wow. So that, so two things is what I heard. Go to the Institute's websites, just noodle around there. You just Google NIH, see all the different institutes, go to each of the websites and then explore NIH matchmaker to see these histogram plots that search on your key terms. And then another thing I'll add is that NIH reporter, which will tell you what's been funded, what in, what uh, university, who's the PI name, to get, get another landscape of who's doing what. The second thing I was thinking, you know, not only do you not, 
you don't know what you don't know. But the second thing is everything you're describing to me is kind of the corollary to when we write a research paper, we do a literature review. And I would be so, you know, ridiculous in the rut of only searching Medline for many, many, many of my papers. And, and for a lot of my work, it made sense. But then when I started saying, Cam, there are other, you know, psych info and other fields that have their own search engines. And when I started broadening my scope to look for literature, lo and behold, yeah, these journals may be speaking to marketing people or business people or ed- education people, but a lot of wisdom, naturally, uh, maybe I'm the only one who, who realized that I was being so ridiculous, Learn that, wow, I'm overlooking a potential goldmine of wisdom about methodologies and theories and applications and how interdisciplinarity can help. So broadening the, the literature search is kind of what making me think of what you're doing with the grant. It's the same thing. You're doing a preliminary search to see what's available and then honing in on your particular application or paper, right? Exactly. It really is about trying to make sure that you're going really where you belong because you can have the best science, right? Like just an awesome idea. But if that institute does not work on that, no matter how great it is, or they don't have dollars allocated to that topic, it's not going to get funded no matter how great a job you did. Love it. And so a lot of frustration sometimes with not getting grants, you can kind of minimize that by just making sure you're really targeting and thinking carefully about where you're going to submit. Strategy, being savvy, and learning how to sell your work to the best institute. I love it. These are great tips. And when you talk about grant writing, I think a lot of times people, or the grantsmanship or the art of grant writing, people's eyes glaze over and you think about all the nuts and bolts of writing. But this is part of the art of grant writing is exactly what you described. A lot of times that people don't think of, or we don't think about this initial, the pre, pre, pre work of writing a grant. You don't just jump on the first thing that's in front of your face. So you're, you're talking about being very planful, strategic, and maximizing your efforts because we know how much work and blood, sweat, and tears it is. So why not maximize getting the right fit for your work? So I think this is so wise of you, and I'm so glad you shared it. Did you want to share anything else, Dr. Williams? Yes, there was one more tip that I wanted to share that I think has okay. really been helpful for me. And I think it's really a simple tip. Well, it sounds simple. It's a little harder to implement sometimes. But it's a writing strategy. And I think that tip is to kind of write as plainly and simply as possible. Mm, mm. You want to have your science just be just so easily understood by any kind of scientist. And so some tips to kind of do that is to, I try to not put almost any abbreviations or as few as I can. HIV, of course, I'm going to abbreviate that. Everyone knows what that is, right? But my very, very, very specialized acronym, like in my field, we have PLWH, which is people living with HIV. In my field, you you know what that means. But if you're not, that's going to be a lot of letters to remember. And so I typically don't abbreviate it. I just spell it out every time. Uh And some people don't want to do that because it takes up more space. But I think it increases readability. And for me, that's more important because if the reviewers can easily understand stuff, I think it's going to give you a much better chance of getting funded. So that's one way to kind of help make it as plain as possible. Another thing is to get rid of all that scientific jargon and just write simply and plainly. I really think about writing for a lay audience, Mm -hmm. 
meaning a non-scientific audience, just speaking to someone about my work. And I try to write it such that it is just very crisp and clear and not too technical. Right. Another big thing I do is I don't try to fit in every single thing that I want to say or every single thing related to my topic. (laughs) I tell them only exactly what they need to know to understand my project or the proposal. Wow, it's a lot of discipline to do that because you want to. We tend to want to impress everybody with that. They're not. Exactly. They're gonna think maybe I'm not smart if I don't use big words. <laughs> exactly. I write very plainly, and I just explain the scientific concepts rather than using super fancy words. Or if I have to define, you know, and use a phrase, I at least will define it and spell it out such that the phrase is an afterthought, but the concept they get kind of at the forefront. Right. Because you're thinking about their re- these reviewers, like you said, they, they're they tired, they're exhausted, they're doing a lot, they may be not exactly the content expert in your field, and you're going to annoy them if they have to go find the legend or keep flipping back and forward or scrolling back in the text to find what does that acronym mean, and you think, well, that's hard work, and I, I don't have the kind of time to do that, and it's, well, guess what? It's not about you. This You have to look at the reviewer. How seriously do you want to get funded? How This is not about your being making your life easier. I like how you flipped that and said, no, this is completely putting yourself in the reader's shoes and making it easy for them, making it a good experience that they they actually feel good. Like, I understand what's going on here. I get this. And of course, your credentials and your bio sketch will amplify and justify the fact that, okay, you have earned credibility, you have papers, you obviously are smart, you need, don't need to speak Greek in your application. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. I think it's it's just so important to make sure that you make sure that they understand. I was just on study section and I reviewed a grant for someone in my field, which is a very, very niche area. And I had to read this grant five or six times to oh. understand it because oh. it was just so verbose and yeah. so hard to understand. Yeah. I'm so glad you're pointing that out because that is such the mark of a good grant writer when you, what's the point to communicate? And if you can't communicate clearly, it makes me question your ability to get a lab together, get a team together, do the work, and then certainly publish and present the data in a way that's understandable. I get the tendency to want to drill down and and be heavy-minded and thick with heavy thinking, but gosh, doesn't everything come down to communication? And if you can't, and you're making someone who's respected like you and obviously funded read a grant five times, oh my gosh, that says something not good about anybody's work. If I have to read it that many times, now I'm mad. Exactly, exactly. And I think what it comes down to, kind of another strategy to have that very simple, easy, clear writing is to think about your grant as in you're telling a story Right? You're giving them everything they need to know to follow the logic. You're setting up the background information of your disease or what you're studying. You're giving them the relevant background, only what they have to know for your project, nothing else. Just very, very focused on your particular issue at hand that you're going to focus on. You may give them some methods they understand, your hypothesis. It just flows so naturally, such that by the time you get to your aim, it's kind of like, of course, like, this is the most rational, logical thing. Of course she's going to study this because you've set it up so clearly that it just makes sense. That's right. You lead, I like the idea of 
always give the example when I would do our, our study groups, our investigator groups, is that you're holding someone by the hand or think about back in prehistoric times when it, there's nothing more compelling than sitting around a campfire and telling a story. And think of it, you know, as soon as you're in a group of people and you say, once upon a time, people's eyes get real big and their ears, you know, perk up because, ooh, we're going to have a story. And there is a, a bad guy, this bad molecule, and he came across this beautiful molecule and there are all these challenges and they get together, you're telling a story, they get together, they break up, they come back together. And as you're holding the person's hand or telling the story around the campfire, like you said, they... They're thinking, oh, I bet I know what's going to happen. Oh, I bet I know what's going to happen. And then if there's a surprise, they're like, oh, yeah, I see that. I see where that's going. But they're, the reader or the listener is engrossed in your story, and they're getting excited because they can see it unfolding in front of their eyes, and they're curious, and they, they're right along with you versus imagine listening to a story or watching a movie where you're like, pause, and I got to rewind. Like, what is going on here? I'm I, we got to start over. I don't understand what's happening in this movie. How did he do that? Or what's she doing? And who is she? Where'd she come from? Where's this character come from? They were never introduced in the beginning. So that kind of confusion certainly doesn't help you. And it frustrates the other people. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. exactly it. And you don't want a frustrated reviewer. I think that's the worst thing you could possibly ever have when it comes to a grant. Right, because then they're looking for a reason. They're, they're not on your side. Now it's an adversary because of probably there's probably some psychological component to it, like making me feel stupid or making – you're wasting my time or, yeah, you're, you're just – you're putting them in a bad mood. Then I'm kind of almost like somehow prone to look for things to poke holes. If this, if this person can't tell me a good story, this the methods are probably wrong. The stats I'm not going to um, you know count on. And now I'm just, now I'm looking almost a self-fulfilling prophecy where this is just garbage. So why not get somebody roped in and excited to turn the page and saying, yeah, I knew it. She was going to go there. That's awesome. That makes sense. Yeah. That's person who is, yeah, they're on your side now. And you've, as you said, you, you've sold it. You've sold the story and, and they're on your side. So I love it. Well, is there anything else, Dr. Williams? No, those are kind of my Top two tips. I know I gave a lot of little sub pointers, but I think those are the biggest things that have really helped me be successful was just making sure I'm strategic and being very thoughtful about where I'm submitting grants and why I'm submitting it there and trying to make my writing as plain as possible such that I draw the reviewer in and tell them just a very compelling, easy to follow story with no additional information that they don't need to know. So they don't get sidetracked and confused. <laughs> Wow. Well, folks, I, I'm sure you are just as excited about uh, as I am to hear from, and it just makes you so, it's encouraging, inspiring to hear from Dr. Deanna Williams here at Hopkins on her grant writing tips for NIH. Thank you, Dr. Deanna Williams. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory Podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.